picture this. You're sitting in a waiting room and you strike up a conversation with the woman beside you. And the two of you hit it off and you start a friendship. Pretty soon you start sharing hopes and dreams like best friends do. And before you know it, the idea of launching a story-based magazine for women is born. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. In the spotlight, the co-founder and chief editor of Waiting Room Media and Living Crew Magazine. This unique quarterly publication is making its way into the hearts and the minds of women who seek community and inspiration through the power of story. Armed with 20 plus years in print publishing and marketing communications, she's also a wife, the mother of two daughters, and she's living with MS. I am honored to be her friend and to be a contributor to the magazine. Her name is Bridget Snell. This is her story. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. We just had a little love fest out in the waiting room here. (laughs) Sometimes the best friendships are born in the most unlikely places. So tell us about that day that you and Marcy met. Marcy and I have children the same age who were both attending the same dojo, learning karate. I don't know how Marcy and I exactly started chatting. She was reading a book. I probably asked her about it. And the conversation got just more profound every time that we said something. It became one of those, you too, me too, kind of conversations. And Marcy and I always laugh because it became our time together and the kids. <laughs> hey, you know, was, they're over there, but we're having the best time yes. in this waiting room. <laughs> and at one point, I do remember looking around and there's other moms joining into the conversation that Marcy and I are having with each other because they were just always so good. And eventually we brought the waiting room to our own homes and it took off from there. One thing just led to mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that you started looking forward to karate class just as much as your daughter did yes. because you were seeing Marcy in the waiting room, That's right? exactly right. Give our listeners a snapshot of what they're going to find inside the pages of Living Crew magazine. I know every issue has a theme. Yes, every issue has a theme. We chose four themes that we feel are the pillars of a woman's life. Their identity. That's the first issue every year. Advocacy, because women give so much of themselves relationships and community, the communities they build around themselves. The stories are authentic. They're first person. We are allowing our storytellers to take back their own voices, their own narratives, tell it like they experienced it. We're not editing to make the reader feel better about their story. It happened the way they tell it. It's raw. It's raw. And authentic. And authentic. And there's something from every story that the reader can take with them. Our platforms are so similar. I feel like I'm doing the audio version of the print version. We're collecting stories, and women are giving their voices to their own stories. Living Crew, how did you come up with that name? It's living, and then C-R-U-E. That's right. That is a French word. It's actually the feminine adjective in French, meaning raw. It just rolls off the tongue well, doesn't it? It became a way of life for us. And so we're putting it out there as a way of life for our readers. When you're living crew, you're living raw, you're living authentic. I am convinced, Bridget, that when we share our stories, we give each other what I call a roadmap. And before you know it, someone who reads my story or your story or anyone else's story says, ah, now she's showing me how she did that. I'm going to do that in my own way. But if she can do it, I can do it. That's do right. you agree? I absolutely agree. 
women have a tendency to share their life experiences in a way that no one else can. There's such a caregiving, loving, and the empathy comes from that. The solidarity that we have with each other comes from the ability to use your own life wisdom. We're more than happy to be generous about our experiences, that's isn't that exactly, true? It's that's so exactly true. Exactly right. I love to tell my storytellers, you know, pretend that you came in my door with a cup of coffee or a cocktail and you're saying you're never going to believe what happened to me. And that's how I want our storytellers to feel when they're putting their personal wisdom out there. Tell it like you're walking in your best friend's house. Let's talk about what prepared you for this chapter in your life, because you've had a very long career in print and marketing communications. Give us a little bit of your career highlights. Boy, I started back when Chilton Publishing was still a company, and they were big in the automotive trade. And I wanted my experience in publishing to not be shared with a lot of others, which is why I went into trade publications instead of consumer publishing. So I started right in as an intern and immediately became associate editor and loved every minute of it. There's so much to editing that's more than copy editing. You have to think about what the reader needs to hear and how they need to hear it. There was always fact checking and it just I, I, I could go on for hours about it. But I bet you like organizing things. I do like organizing I'm just looking at you How thinking, you I bet that's what she really loves. And the layout, right? The design. Yes. Oh, it's so fun. I get lost for hours and hours. I end up with a really bad neck and back. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the beautiful magazine is what I have to show for it. And I learned a lot of that along the way. The best partnerships are like puzzle pieces, mm -hmm. yin and yang. I agree. How does your collaboration with Marcy work? I do design and editorial, and Marcy does the marketing. And the way that it works is one comes before the other. And so we're very good at keeping the other encouraged and enthusiastic and supported when Marcy's out sitting there going, okay, what do you need from me? Mm -hmm. And then when she's done and the issue closes, it's my turn to sit down and design it. And she's waiting by the phone going, what do you need from me? <laughs> it's wonderful the way that it's timed and the skill set that we each have that balances the other out. I could never do what she does. She lets me do my design work. And oh boy, do we have a lot of fun. We check in on each other. I remember one time, I got a call at the end of the day from Marcy, who I was just thinking to myself, I don't think that we talked today. And it was her calling to say, I don't think we talked today. And that felt weird. And so we're supporting each other. We're having fun. And we check in to make sure that every day we're still having fun. So we'll send these little texts off. Are you still having fun today? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we lie, too. <laughs> yes, Marcy, I'm having a blast. You know, I love to ask the women who sit right where you are to talk to us a little bit about their childhood, where they mm -hmm. come from, what life was like in their house, because this is the foundation. This is what made us who we are today. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like in your house. I grew up in a, several different little towns. My father is old farm boy. You know, he's a businessman, but he was a farm boy. And so when it came time to figure out where he was going to raise his four daughters with his wife, he, of course, you know, we, we found farms to live on. 
he was in academia, so he would go off to work and we would be on the farm. He knew farm life and we grew up in that environment. I spent a lot of my childhood in the Catskills on a farm there and absolutely would never trade oh, it for Oh, so any other. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. A child can learn a lot about life growing up on a farm. That's absolutely Talk right. about that. Oh, you know, you don't have this comparison that you tend to get as an adult. As a child, you jump on your bike in the morning, you go to the next farm up, you know, everything's miles apart. You know, the, the town that I went to school in was 12 miles from my driveway. You could see houses off in the distance, but my sisters and I would play school bus around the driveway with our bikes, <laughs> and we would go for walks in the woods that would take hours and hours, and we would just Freedom. Discover. Oh, it was Freedom. wonderful. But also, it teaches you a love of the land, That's doesn't right. it? What was the message in your house about what mattered most? Family. Family mattered most. There was a distant second, which I probably could try to remember if I had to, but family, that's that's what you have. I'm going to guess that education was probably important, too, yes, since well, your dad was in yes. academia, right? So maybe that was the distant second. Family, 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 <laughs> education, right. do that's well right. in school. Right. Who were your role models when you were growing up? Oh, my dad. There was nothing that dad couldn't, couldn't do, do. Um, and it never occurred to him or mom to tell us there was nothing that we couldn't do. It didn't it never came out that way. So he was a storyteller. He is a storyteller. He oh, he's got the best stories. We couldn't even sit down and have a bowl of chili without a story coming out. <laughs> this reminds me of the time in the Air Force Base in Ramstein when I had a bowl of chili. You know, so everything had a story. Did you know what you wanted to do with your life when yes. you were in college? Well, I knew that I didn't want to go to college right away. I took a couple of gap years after high school traveled in Europe, then lived on a little island with my cousin in Maine and, you know, did odd jobs here and there, including working on his fishing boat. I knew somehow I wanted to do journalism. I wanted to continue my love of writing. In the end, I discovered after working at the magazine that I had a better way of telling stories than I did investigative reporting. And of course, you know, <laughs> all these years later, that's... That's, that's exactly what up. resonates yeah. for you. Yeah. Your very happy marriage and your two daughters are really at the center mm -hmm. of your success story. Right. Tell us a little bit about your husband, Matt, and how you met him. We met at Walmart. <laughs> we were both working there. He was in hardware. I was at customer service. He ended up graduating first and going to London to work at a museum there to see if he, you know, try his hand at curation. And so his mother and I flew out that Thanksgiving to see him. And when I came back, I was working in the layaway department during the Christmas rush. And I got a phone call. And next thing you know, I'm happy crying in layaway. And <laughs> All the customers here, Attention Walmart shoppers, Matt from Hardware, just asked Bridget from customer service to marry him. <laughs> and everybody's clapping. And it just, it's, you know, that's a very unique proposal, but it was so fun. It's yeah. one of the best ones we've ever yeah. had on this program, <laughs> let me tell you. How did motherhood change you, Bridget? Oh, Wow. You know, we waited 11 years when we were married to have our first child and everything changed. You know, all of those things my father always said about what was important. That was it. It was OK. I'm, I'm a mom now. That's me. And everything else went away. 
and it was the best experience I've ever had. 2015, not your favorite year. That was the year that you were diagnosed with relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. Take us back to that day. And did you know or have a suspicion that something just wasn't right? Yeah. I had symptoms as early as high school, which is not uncommon, I found out later, um, speaking with my neurologist, for especially women to experience symptoms upwards of 20 years before they were diagnosed. The thing about relapsing remitting is that you have these symptoms, these flare-ups, but then they go away. And so whenever I had a problem in high school, it would go away, and I'd go, okay, well, no big deal. Then it would happen again in college, it would go away. Okay. When I had my first daughter, we were walking down the stairs to the playroom together, and and not far from the bottom, my hand just gave out. And that's when I went, okay, you know, it's time to get this checked out. It took a long time. I was referred to different neurologists, um, MRI scans. Long story short, they discovered a lot of demyelination on my brain. I had a spinal tap, uh, which are awful. That was the final factor between the brain scans and the spinal fluid. That was that was a scary day. Mm-hmm. At that time, your girls were two and four. Mm-hmm. And as a mother, where you just said motherhood changed you, it became everything. It's who I am. I am a mom. That's right. That's terrifying mm-hmm. because your brain flips to what if I can't take care of them? That's right. And that's when that very paralyzing thought was shoved to the back of my brain. And it became uh, do it all. You know what? Prove it. Prove to yourself. Prove to everybody else that this is not going to control me. I have MS. MS does not have me. I prefer to be Bridget, the mother, the wife, the career-driven woman, and then someone with MS. I didn't want that to be first. And that meant that I had to also make a lot of decisions for myself when you heard those words and decided on a treatment plan, you went the traditional route, mm-hmm. but that didn't last for long. No. In, in my case, I took shots during the week. The shots had a long list of side effects, which may I, arguably worse than the MS itself. After a few years of doing that, and I'm, I'm looking at myself and I'm noticing that these shots are leaving welts on my body, and uh, there were several times that the reactions were so bad that it put me out for several days. There was another time I took the shot and got a reaction very similar to a heart attack. So wow, it became a question of why am I doing these shots? And when I looked a little closer, the answer was, I don't know why I'm doing these shots. They're not promising to even stop the progression of disease. They're, they're only promising to slow down time between relapses, and that was not enough. So you dove as deeply as you could. You did your own research, and you came up with the idea of going to Mexico to receive treatment that's not available here in the United States. That's right. I started researching HSCT, which is not stem cell treatment. This is a misnomer um, about HSCT. Um, HSCT is a stem cell transplant, and it uses your own stem cells. The idea is the disease is in my immune system. So we're going to ablate my immune system and rebuild it using my own stem cells. Stem cell treatment is a completely different process. There are some that use that for MS, but I did not have the treatment. My stem cells didn't need it. What I did after I saw the data and I saw that it it does promise to stop 
the progression of the disease if it works. No medication in this country that's approved for MS actually makes that same claim. In fact, I read, I think in an article that you were featured in, that there's a 78% success rate with this procedure versus giving yourself these shots for two years and being completely miserable. So in order to do this, though, Mm -hmm. you needed to do chemo, Mm -hmm. you needed to become completely neutropenic at one point. This must have been a really hard time in your life. It is for a lot of HSCTers. But for me, I was able to take myself out of the situation for the time that I needed to get through it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's the fascination with the procedure, the looking at it with a scientific brain takes that fear. It's a temporary Band-Aid to deal with the situation, but it worked for me. And I also had the most amazing support system there. The clinic that I went to is an international clinic, and the doctor comes from the Mayo Clinic. He worked on HSCT for um, leukemia back in the 80s, and he discovered that putting more time between chemo treatments will take out an element or a layer of that awful sickness that often comes with chemo. And that's why it took 30 days to have this treatment because of the time between the chemo treatments. So whenever they could come to me in the apartment that they set me up in, which is another fascinating thing about this clinic is the doctor said the worst place for someone to be when they're trying to be treated with this disease is in a hospital where all of the germs are. So his clinic has these apartments. The air is controlled. The water is controlled. They send cleaning crews in a couple times during the day to keep it clean. And he said, your job is just go in and lay on the couch and take this when we ask and the doctors will come to you. It sounds like this decision was a turning point in your life. Tell us how you're doing now. I started a company. (laughs) You got a lot on your plate and you've been able to do it. That's right. I was able to do that. About a month ago, I walked 31 miles over a couple of days with my sister walking for MS. And that is the third time we've done that. You know, we've gone 50, 40 and 31 miles. So right out of coming home from Mexico from the treatment, About six or seven weeks later, my husband and girls and I were kayaking and rock climbing, and I probably couldn't see myself doing what I'm doing now back in 2015 without taking the self-advocacy route and making these very difficult but now logical decisions. Talk a little bit about your mindset. If you could reach out to somebody who's listening to this program right now. How do you stay strong? How do you stay hopeful? And share that with someone. Oh, that's, that's a very good question. I stay hopeful because I have proven to myself that taking the reins and not taking no for an answer and not hearing anything but, okay, what can we do to help? Knowing that you have to ask for help and insist on getting it and knowing that it's there. So tomorrow, if I have a relapse, because I still have MS, it's not a cure, this treatment, I still have MS. But every day I wake up, I do what I have to do. If I'm feeling low, I know because of experience that I can pick up the phone and make something happen for myself. We learn something from every single job we have and from every life experience that we have. What has been the greatest lesson for you, whether that's personal or professional, along the way? 
Wow. I think that both personally and professionally, hearing this can't happen <laughs> and rolling up my sleeves and saying, okay, hold my coffee. <laughs> yes, it can. Yes, it can. I was told by doctors, wait till you're in a wheelchair. You know, we have medications to keep you comfortable. Don't worry. Something will come up. That wasn't good enough for me then. So I just proved to myself that there was more. And professionally, I use that same philosophy. You want to start a media company? Okay, let's do it. (laughs) Next few questions we ask everybody who sits where you are. And thank you once again for sharing your story with us today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think I might know the answer to this one. I think after I call Marcy. We get behind that obstacle and just plow through it and just knock it over. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners? I think it all goes back to my dad. My dad always said, 20s are when you make your mistakes. 30s is when you make up for those mistakes. And 40s is when you enjoy it. And 50s is when you don't know what's going to happen. So you just got to make it work. And I think that's the best advice. It made me really excited to turn 40. I think I may have been one of the few people I know who just cheered 40 in because dad always said that's the decade that you get to enjoy everything. When you look in the rearview mirror at a very successful career and a pretty colorful life so far, what do you wish you knew when you first got started? Oh, mistakes are okay to make, especially when you're in publishing. You know this as well in recording industry. There are some careers where you get to fix the mistakes. We publish them for everyone to see. (laughs) And that's okay. I think it actually lends some credibility to the fact that what we're doing is authentic and raw. And this is the way life is. And that's okay. So I think looking back in the rearview mirror, I would say don't beat yourself up so much. Final question. Mm -hmm. Right now in this chapter Mm -hmm. in your life, Bridget Snell, what does success mean to you? Oh, success means that my kids at the end of the day and my husband are smiling and telling me what a great day they had. We do favorite three things and three worst things of the day. Every day we do that with each other. So when they come up with three great things but can't think of three bad things, that's a success. Having found Marcy and this lifelong friendship that I've found a way to stuff into the last several years is such a success to me because these are the people who are going to be my legacy. Everything else doesn't matter. I'm a success because when they think of me, they think good thoughts. I want to say thanks so much for sharing your story today on the story behind her success. Thank you, Candy. And that's the story behind her success for this week. My thanks to Bridget Snell for sharing her story with you. If you'd like to subscribe to Living Crew, just go to livingcrew.com. Use promo code CANDIO for a 20% discount on your first year's subscription. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you have someone in mind, will you please let me know? Just go to my website, candioterry.com. That's candy with a Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y dot com. Give the show a follow on your favorite podcast platform and tell your friends and family all about the show. Do all the things. Leave a review if you would be so kind. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. When we share our stories, no matter where we are in this great big world, we provide a roadmap toward success. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.